It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. On May 23rd... I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus. Welcome back to Barton and Bud. This is Barton Simmons along with Bud Elliott. Bud, it's been, I feel like it's been like, a, I'm sitting here still still removed. This is my last week of paternity leave. Next week I'm, I'm back to fully engaged, but it feels like there's been, I don't know, like a like frantic, frenetic pace of just not necessarily big news, but movement in terms of scheduling being released in terms of the the just sort of good news versus bad news uh, ping pong match of my emotions in terms of where we're at at, at, at college football and the likelihood of it and the the scheduling of it uh, as 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 you're sitting there uh, still fully engaged you know running our desk and and our editorial plan and everything like that how how are you feeling right now? We're going to talk schedules today, but how's how's your mental state with college football on the horizon? You know, it's it's a bit of an exhale, right? Like if you told me, hey, you're going to be hired, and then a month in, we're going to have a pandemic, and there will be no spring football and no summer camps, and you're charged with coming up with the editorial plan, I would have been like, ooh, and then we got to launch a podcast. And man, like we've kind of made it. Now, if they if they come out tomorrow and they like say, hey, the whole season is canceled, I'm, I'm going to be pretty bummed because August, September are going to be rough. I think we're going to play football, man. I, I do. I do. Yeah, I, I, I think we're going to play. Now, I, I didn't say we're going to play the entire year. I didn't say we're, everybody's going to get in 10 games. I, I think a lot of the complaining about, oh, well, you know, Florida State's not going to get to play Florida because they only have room for 10 games. It wouldn't really shock me if they only get maybe six or seven games in at some, some places, you know. But I think they're going to try to play. I, I, I really do at this point. And we appreciate everybody sticking with us. During the off season, almost 500 ratings and reviews. We did, we did promise you all the mailbag episode, but hey, man, numbers are numbers, and you got us to 496, which is not 500. So today, we are not doing the mailbag show. We will do that probably next week. Might go to twice twice a week next week. Just a little little hint there, but uh, really appreciate you all subscribing. iTunes and uh, Spotify numbers looking pretty good. And I'm I'm glad you're back in the saddle, man, and you're looking refreshed. <laughs> uh. Yeah, well, you know, we've had we, we we're trying to get on a schedule in the house in a five party of five house right now. We're trying to get on our schedule. I think we're getting close to where I'll be ready to roll for next week, and so feel a little bit get a little better sleep every night. Um, but you know, as again, I'm, I'm side eyeing all these schedules that popping off as as we're in this, uh, and I know we don't yet have like the literal dates for every game we've got sort of a broad outline of what it's going to look like 
for most conferences and for the ACC and the Pac-12, I guess we actually have the teams that they're playing, if not the dates. So we'll, we'll start our conversation today just digging into to that because we've at least got a little bit of a sense on what the season approaching, who the who some 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 teams that are maybe benefiting from the new reality of college football and maybe some that will be longing for a more normalized season, um, at least more so than most. Um, so, so while we dig in there, we'll, we'll, we'll each, I think we've, we've both got a few thoughts on some of the winners and losers of, of the, the current scheduling climate. Uh, you want to kick us off? You can go winner, you can go loser. What, what, what jumps out to you in terms of the scheduling climate right now? I do, but but I want to turn that into a tease because I, I got to fill you in on the latest drama in the coaching community since, since you've been out real quick. Okay. All right. So we got coaches snitching on each other about recruiting departments, contracting either with contractors or just getting the help of super fans to send out graphics and Twitter DMs and TikToks to recruits who are underclassmen, which is not allowed until a certain date. And uh, a lot of these schools are, well, I don't say a lot, a couple of these schools are kind of up in arms and, and, and they're snitching on their in-state rivals about this. And, and they're like, hey, like we play by the rules and, and look at this graphic that they just sent out. That's the exact same one they sent to this 2021 prospect. And, and this is where we are, man. We're, we're, we're complaining and snitching on each other about graphics because there's no visits. There's no you know, on-campus photo shoots to coordinate and you can only have so many Zoom meetings with a prospect. And that, I just figured I'd fill you in on that. That was kind of, the, kind of the, the gossip in the coaching community from this last week. Well, and you can only do so much recruiting in the class of 2021, right? And so the 2020, like, uh, there's just nothing else to do but try to recruit 2022 and 2023. And so, there, you know, and, and there's probably some of these super – ADD coaches that are like head coaches that are crawling out of their skin because they don't have anything else to do right now. They can't be, they can't even really be around the players that much. I guess OTAs have started for a lot of programs around the country right now, but uh, until recently, they've been just probably itching to find anything to do and, and to direct their staff anything to do. And so maybe this is just the product of a bunch of guys who are used to being super busy, just can't figure out what to do with their time. And so uh, some are cheating and some are spotting the cheaters. And the cheating's really not that big of a deal, really, probably in the grand scheme of things. But uh, hey, if, if, if all you got to do is you know, look on Twitter for graphics, you're going to be able to find some stuff that look funny. Grown men with an Adderall have it, man. They're, they're going to find something to do. So let's, uh, yeah, let's do get into, into the... Uh, Kind of winners and losers from the the new scheduling agreements and uh, and, and arrangements. I just figured I'd, I'd fill you in there on that gossip since, since you've been out. Uh, yeah, I, I have a couple here. So just just to recap, what want to make sure everybody knows what the different leagues are doing. Uh, it is one forty on the East Coast on Tuesday. So if the SEC and Big Ten drop their announcements during this podcast, that would just be so fitting. Uh, but Right now, uh, the SEC has announced they're going to go conference only. They're going to play 10 games. They have not announced new opponents yet. The Big Ten uh, is also going to go conference only, and that, that announcement actually came you know, weeks ago. Uh, but they have not announced their, their new additional games as of yet. The ACC did announce its additional games. They are playing conference only plus one 
uh, we will see, you know, just just how well they're able to figure out the plus one situation there. Uh, but they are they're going plus one, and uh, the ACC actually did announce their additional games. Uh, so we know who else the ACC teams will be playing as far as conference games, uh, but we don't have dates on that yet. And then we have two conferences that actually just went whole hog, and they have uh, the Big Twelve is going to play nine plus one. Uh, they do have dates on those. I'm extremely disappointed, by the way. The Big Twelve did not give us absolute crazy pants arrangement of playing a round robin plus one in conference because. I, I was absolutely here for the complaining about like who had to draw Oklahoma twice in the regular season, especially if it was Texas fans, because like for TV revenue reasons, you would definitely want to do that. Uh, I think it would have been fun if they could have snuck BYU in there. Ooh, get, get BYU in there as their tenth team or what eleventh team rather, and then get their get, then you got your tenth team. You know, BYU is going to be, but I guess the Big Twelve now can schedule for their plus. They can they've got a plus one. It just has to be a home game, right? Uh yes, please. So, so to be what maybe BYU can just get in there and just just be that plus one and just travel travel to Big Twelve country all over the place and, and try to fill out their schedule because I think they're hurting right now. BYU is to oh. to to fill it up. There's no doubt. Uh, and then the Pac-12 decided to go conference only uh, as well, and they are going to play ten conference games. Now they already played nine conference games, so they really only had to add one game per team. So not a huge change there. The, the big change in Pac-12 is obviously going. Uh, going with conference only. So, so with that backdrop, uh, I, I have I have three pretty obvious winners, and I'll, I'll throw them out and uh, get your thoughts, and and then uh, maybe we'll argue about them a little bit, and you, you give me yours, and then we'll kind of transition on over to uh, to losers here. But my, my first winner uh, is North Carolina. Um, North Carolina I, on social distance. I recently had Chris Felica on the the Bear from Game Day, and he was talking about how he was not buying UNC early in the summer as far as betting markets because they, they were kind of overpriced to be honest uh but now as as the summer has worn on i'm i'm sort of there with him now i'm actually buying into unc more because i'm I'm buying into quarterback continuity i'm buying into offensive continuity and i it's just hard to run offense if you don't have a lot of practices you know and these teams don't and they didn't have the traditional summer camp or the traditional spring practice and bringing back how and, and and you know all the receivers they have and, and good about on the offensive line I think I'm in on UNC from a personnel and continuity standpoint, but now I'm really in on UNC because of their schedule. Have you seen UNC's uh, new conference schedule? Yes. I may need a refresher though. All right. So let's go ahead and refresh for Barton home games, NC state, Notre Dame, Syracuse, Virginia tech, wake forest away games, Boston college, Duke, Florida state, Miami, Virginia, not on the list. Clemson, pretty solid. Not on the list. Virginia Tech, not on, or excuse me, Virginia Tech is on the list. Not, not on the list. Pitt, that's a pretty favorable schedule. If you, if you can avoid Clemson and also avoid another kind of top half level team, uh, I, I ran my numbers on it, and UNC did have the most favorable schedule in the conference. They, you said they do have the most favorable schedule? They did, yeah. Now, number two and three, NC State and Duke. So cue the, uh, cue the triangle conspiracy theorists out there uh, that, that the ACC takes care of its North Carolina teams, but they totally screwed Wake Forest and Wake has a, a brutal slate. So one of my, so I, one of my biggest winners is NC state because they are the only team in the ACC that misses uh, Notre Dame and Clemson. And my theory, my, my ACC theory is just that this, that it's all one. Everyone's kind of the same team except for Clemson. 
And some teams will be better than you thought they would be. Some teams will be worse than you thought they would be. But everyone's kind of the same team except for Clemson. Now you get Notre Dame added in there. And Notre Dame is more Clemson than it is the other team that everyone else kind of is. And so given that NC State almost certainly would lose to Clemson and Notre Dame, and especially given that Dave Doran is probably a hot seat coach, I think, like, to me, that's two losses that just get removed from your schedule. And so anytime you're creating a schedule in which you get two losses taken away from it, at least theoretically, because obviously they could lose the games that they were replaced them with as well. But relative to the rest of the conference, you know, they have two less sure thing losses. I think that's pretty, pretty big, pretty big for NC State. Just uh, in ter- I mean, because it gives them a chance. It gives them a fighting chance. Uh, you know, what, what uh, you know, five and five looks a lot better than three and seven. Um, and even if that's what it turns to, maybe, maybe, you know, uh, seven and five or seven and three looks a lot better than five and five, you know? So whatever it looks like, I think that the NC stake is a, a, a big boost from that. We, we absolutely agree on that. Uh, I actually have NC state in my projections, uh, tied for 10th. Uh, so that would be above Duke or well tied with Duke above Syracuse, above Georgia tech, above Boston college, above Wake forest. If you tell NC state, they're going to tie for 10th in a league that's playing 10 conference games. I, I think they're going to take that this year. Right, like so, the only teams I would have definitively ahead of them are UVA by a game, and honestly, in my projections, it's by like a half game. Pitt, Florida State, Louisville, Vatek, Miami, UNC, Notre Dame, Clemson. Like, if NC State is the king of the the bottom six, I, I think they take that, and that is very much schedule dependent. If you swap Wake Forest and NC State schedules, I'm probably putting Wake, you know, T10 and NC State probably T13 with, with Georgia Tech and, and Boston College. Uh, so that I, I totally agree with you. That that's probably their schedule is it's probably like a full win easier than Wake Forest. Like uh, you know, sure. to have a, a comparable skin. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but I guarantee you, like if you if you get in the running projections, like a full win easier schedule is a big ass deal okay. when it comes to conference schedules. Yeah. Staying in the ACC, you know, in in name only, I guess. Notre Dame. Uh and I know you got some thoughts on Notre Dame, and I'll let you get into those, but what, but the thing with me with this Notre Dame schedule is I think it's easier. I think this is an easier schedule. Like the irony of them joining the conference and the schedule getting easier is, is clear. Like they, they lose Wisconsin, they lose USC. Um, and I think those two teams would be, you know, two and three in some order behind Clemson and the ACC. Uh, and so, Instead, you're going to the ACC, and I, I, I think this is like fascinating to me in terms of like, all right, what, what kind of like Notre Dame could go in there, and if Notre Dame kind of wrecks shop and beats everybody, maybe with the exception of Clemson, but I'm not ruling it out that they could beat Clemson too. If they go in there and really, you know, roll the ACC, and they're one year in, and then bounce back out to independent, like that's a optics are good there for the Irish if that's if that's what happens. That that gives them leverage for sure. You know, it, it shows just how good of a team they could be inside the league. And and I I, I we did our updated projections on the ACC. Brandon Marcello before before he, he left on his leave uh, sent out a thing. We all sent it in. I, I have Notre Dame uh, T two uh, with North Carolina at eight and two, and, and I have you. I have Notre Dame actually 
you know, beating UNC. So they, they, they get they get the head to head there with, with the tiebreak. But the interesting thing, Barton, is that I had a lot of Notre Dame fans be like, what? Two losses in the ACC, and they, they were kind of annoyed by it. And so they, they hit me with this stat. So the last three years, Notre Dame is 14-1 and one in its regular season games against the ACC teams. They, they play five a year under the normal scheduling agreement. So, so I looked into it, and I was like, damn it. Hey, first of all, is that true? Because people can write whatever they want on a message board, and, and sometimes it, it's not true. But it, it actually is. that They are 14-1 and one the last three years against uh, ACC teams in the regular season. Obviously, that is leaving out Clemson blowing their doors off in the 2018 semifinal. Uh, but I, I looked a little bit deeper into this, and I was like, okay, are they squeaking by in these games? And no, they, 12 of the 14 games, they actually won by two scores or more. So that's you know pretty solid. The one loss, of course, came against the Miami team in, in 2017. It was pretty good. They went 10-3. and three. They beat Notre Dame 41-8, to eight, uh, which was a pretty good beatdown. Remember that turnover game? Trajan Bandy takes, takes the uh, fumble six or pick six back, and, and then the route is kind of on. But I, I dug a little bit deeper into this because I wanted to see if I was wrong for projecting two losses for Notre Dame in a league that, you know, based on, on their surface-level record, they've dominated. And I, I don't think I am for, for this reason. The schedule draw that Notre Dame has had in the last three years in the ACC has been like incredibly lucky as far as getting easy ACC teams to play. So over that, that time span, three years, the ACC has had 10 teams that finished top 35 in Bill Connolly's SP Plus rankings. That's not even including Clemson. So, you know, a little over three teams per year are finishing top 35 in, in SP Plus, not including Clemson. So you'd expect Notre Dame, you know, over a three-year span to play, I don't know, four or five of those, right? Just if you took kind of a random sampling. They've played one, and that one was the Miami team that waxed them. So while I do think Notre Dame is really good at handling a lot of these ACC teams that aren't very good, and I, th- I think that's just reflective that they handle teams that aren't very good pretty much regardless. They've become pretty consistent under that or with that under Brian Kelly. This year, though, I think they play five teams who have a shot to be top 35 level, which is they've only played one in the last three years. So I don't think all these teams will finish top 35, but they have Clemson. They have, uh, what, not Miami. They have Clemson, UNC, Florida State, Louisville, Pitt. I think the odds say that at least three of those finish top 35, if not four. Uh, And so that will be interesting. If Notre Dame goes eight and two, I, I think that really, they should probably take that. I know that they won't be happy with that, but I'm not buying in totally to the idea that Notre Dame is just guaranteed to beat everybody who's not Clemson in the league. So I'm assuming then that you've got Clemson at 10-0? I do, and that's pretty rare. Like It's really hard to to do a a number-style projection and actually get somebody to 10-0, but I think Clemson comes out to like 9.4 wins, and that's really hard to do in itself in a 10-game schedule because they're they're double-digit favorites against everybody. I'm pretty sure, and like three touchdown favorites over everybody but two on, on their schedule. So, snap judgment, snap reaction. Uh, you don't have to like dig into your, your computer for it. How many undefeated teams are there going to be this season? I'll say two. Just someone else? Like, do you have someone in mind or just another team? Probably Ohio State. Okay. Like the odds of a, of a Pac-12 team going undefeated just went up by a lot because USC doesn't play Bama, 
and Oregon doesn't have to lose to Ohio State, assuming that they would lose, which I'm, I'm going to take Ohio State in that game. I think the odds of, of a Big 12 team going undefeated went up too because there's no non-conference games that they could lose at this point, really. But I do think the odds of an SEC team going undefeated went down. So you kind of have to balance that a little bit, you know? Um, and I, I actually think the odds of, of Clemson going undefeated went down too. Because, because they already I, played Notre Dame. Uh, yeah, because they're already playing Notre Dame. And I, I also feel like just the, the, the grind of an additional conference game is, is going to be difficult uh, for, you know, additional for some, uh, two additional ones for the SEC and ACC. Um, and I also think that there's a, like, there's just, this is going to be a more um, high variance year, I would imagine because of the uncertainty with injury COVID related stuff. And also the atmosphere that is going to be uh, characterizing all these games, which are typically going to be either half full stadiums at best, yeah. if not empty stadiums. I think that like the home field advantage is going to be diminished. And I think that the idea that like you could go into any game and if you're not focused, motivated, uh, like intense, then you could lose. And so maybe that's a, maybe that's me overthinking it, but I don't know, just something about this sort of more sterile environment and a, maybe, maybe, maybe that should make it even more, um, like favor the, 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 the heavyweights even more, I guess. So maybe, maybe I'm miscalculating that. I just think this season is, is going to be, uh, a little bit more wide open in terms of just the, the things that we can't really quantify and, and gauge without being in it. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you on, on that. I, I think the lack of, of home field there is, is going to be a, a factor. The only way I think it's not, and, and I, we shouldn't crank the home field advantage down to zero, certainly. I was talking to Bill Connolly about this the other day, and, and there's a lot of different opinions on what you should do. And I don't think you can settle on a number until we know what the fan capacity will be like. Certainly, I have a hard time thinking that there will be enough fans at games to actually impact communication. <laughs> you know, like you may get yep. some level of energy out of playing in front of even a pack, you know, a half house just because it's better than nothing. Uh, but the only way I think that that home road splits matter is just if travel becomes an enormous pain, right? Like if you have to do like day of testing and if there's just a bunch of procedures where, where you're standing around in the hotel ballroom waiting for it to get clear before you can go get on the bus. And, or if you've got to take a three-hour bus ride at, right. at 7 a.m. to to get to uh, Starkville in time for a uh, – you know, two o'clock kick or something like that's you could show up a little, little, little sleepy eyed if that's the case. Oh, there's no doubt about it. So, yeah, I, I agree with you on, on, on Notre Dame there. Uh, I also think just real quickly here, it, I think it was smart by the ACC to not try to power play Notre Dame into joining the league. And, and a lot of people out there were like, oh, well, ACC can use this as leverage to, to get Notre Dame to join. They don't have to let Notre Dame join, uh, you know, just for this year only, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, then when, when it came out that Notre Dame you know, joined just for this year, uh, they were like, oh, the ACC messed up. And I, I actually don't agree with that. Um, the ACC and Notre Dame are really, really cozy right now. They signed that agreement when Notre Dame didn't have to do that, and they could have, have agreed to play in a different league. I think there was a lot of leagues who would have taken them at that time with, with a similar style 
agreement. The ACC also has that exclusive negotiating window within its current contract, which I think runs into like the 2030s with Notre Dame. Uh, and like ultimately, you arrange for that window because you're going to try to get Notre Dame to join at some point. I don't know if trying to power play them in the short span of a pandemic is the best negotiating tactic there with somebody you already have a really good relationship with. Because if they say no, they're probably not coming back to the table with you later on. They're like, all right, we'll just wait out this, this agreement and then we'll see what we get. I think because you did them a favor, so to speak, uh, may, maybe that actually helps you a little bit long term with your, your goal of getting Notre Dame into the league, which I think is a, uh, which I think is a goal. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. I'm with you there. I think Notre Dame, kind of going back to them as a sort of a potential winner with the scheduling situation, like they're they're a little bit in um, – it feels like they could – like they're starting they, – they started to, as everyone started to get visibility on national television, as, as Notre Dame started to recede to the pack a little bit, uh, it felt like the Notre Dame mystique was starting to lose a little bit of its, its sheen. But we're in a, a bit of a sweet spot right now where Notre Dame feels close to ramping that back up where maybe that they do become really the like a one of the premier teams in college football again and and you know they're close as is and and that's um you know that that could benefit them here in the next few years as well in in these sort of situations so i'm with you there i'll, I'll go with a loser and this is a collective loser but collectively i think coaches on the hot seat particularly in the SEC are losers in this one because I like we are about to be in this pandemic setting financially strapped institutions are everyone's financially strapped institution so like there's just not going to be an appetite for paying a buyout it, you know the optics aren't good the the just the money's not there uh, it's just gonna be hard to make a change in the current climate. And if you're sitting there and, you know, there's a typical 12 game season and you're Will Muschamp at South Carolina or you're Derek Mason at Vanderbilt, or um, I don't know if there's anyone else on the hot seat in the sec, but there's certainly a few others out, you know, around the country and you can get your four wins, maybe three wins out of conference and you can steal another couple and you get to five and seven or, and it's you're in a pandemic, and like, what are you going to do? You're going to make a change in a pandemic where we, you know, we just won four or five games, uh, play some young guys, give us a shot. Well, now if that four and eight, five and seven sort of bad look season turns into zero oh and ten, one and nine, even two and eight, it's just a little bit like it, it 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 helps your optics a little bit if you're an AD that actually wants to make a change. If you're an AD that's like looking at the season, being like. I don't think we got the guy, but we need to move on. It's just going to be hard for us to pull the trigger. And, and, and so I think suddenly this gives you some cover if, you know, the schedules, the record's just a really bad look in a year where you got to play 10 conference games in a brutal conference. Look at the unemployment numbers and look at, at the money we're spending to buy out this coach. I agree with you, man. Like some of these teams that normally go, in that sort of five and seven to seven and five range are going to be three and seven teams in the SEC or 
maybe if the ball bounces the wrong way, you know, a, a two and eight level team. I mean, think about it. Like, like a team that normally goes three and one and then five and seven, uh, you know, like that's, or excuse me, yeah, like, like, like three, three and one in the non con and, and, and then three and five in the conference. That's a six and six club. Yeah. Now you're adding two more conference games. There's a pretty good chance you're a, a three and seven or four and six type team. If, if you're an AD who has conviction in your guy and wants to ride it out, like that's the other side of this, you're going to have to really sell to your school president and to your boosters. No, look, we're actually a better quality team, and you'd probably have to use some advanced metrics and some numbers to show that. Uh, that we're a better quality team than we were last year. We just didn't get the, the automatic easy wins uh, this year, and I, I think that's, that's definitely something to be considered. But you're right. like There are some losers here. I'll take it to a team that's not on a hot seat at all, but I, I want to bring this up. Man, we mentioned all summer as far as like, the advantageous schedule that A&M had. A&M finally got Clemson off the schedule, and, and they, they, they didn't play it. They basically played four cupcakes in the non-conference. I think the best team they were going to play was either Colorado or, or Fresno, and you know, Fresno came back to earth last year a pretty good bit after a nice 2018 now A&M, the chance that they end up playing Georgia or Florida from the East as one of their two added games, I, I think is pretty high. Like, this is – that's not what they want. Like, they, they want to be able to try to win the West. And now, like, I think you got to change your projection on them a little bit once those games come out, obviously, because they're not going to have those four easy wins and, and they're not going to have the, the easiest schedule they've had in a long time or, or in, that they will probably have for a long time. Yeah. Well, and, and also, so I'm just trying to look at their, their previous schedule. So they, they had, they had LSU at home. Um, I mean, didn't, wasn't their home away split really friendly as well uh, in terms of, I mean, cause this, this schedule was supposed to be like an all around hit for a and and I'm, I'm, I've already sort of forgotten the schedule and they're a little bit tougher to dig up now, but their, their home away split was real friendly too. And now you, you're missing the benefit of the friendly confines of uh, Kyle Field being, I mean, Ross Bjork's still talking about 150% capacity, but and so if you get 50% capacity, I guess you still have a advantage, but it's just a, it's a little bit different. It, it is a little bit different for sure. I, I, I like the podcasting on the fly here, by the way. If you guys are not watching the YouTube version of this, Barton just picked up and went all the way across the house. I, that's what happens. <laughs> that's what happens when... The newborn is due for a nap and you have no office and your office is the bedroom. And so now my office is the kitchen. And so we will, we will make this work. So A&M's former schedule. Let me see. So I think, yeah, I think it was LSU at home. They were at Bama. They were at Auburn and they really didn't play anybody from the East. Yeah. Yeah, so I think the, the the thought process previously for me for AM schedule was you get like you should Bama and uh, so Bama and Auburn were their away games. So yeah. you get LSU at home. So basically, yeah. So you you know, whatever. You that that's sort of a push. But at least you get all the games that are like would be toss ups that you kind of need to win, you get all those at home. Completely agree. Now, uh staying in state, I I have a winner in Texas, not having to play LSU. Uh not like get get to focus more on their conference games. I, I was already kind of high on Texas because of the fact that they do return Sam Ellinger, who I think is a good quarterback, and 
quite a bit of their offense returns. I, I think that offensive continuity will help there. Uh, not having to play LSU is is a, it's a help for them. The chance yeah. that, that Texas gets you know it gets out with just one loss, I, I think, is is substantially higher now. Yeah, and you kind of mentioned it with the with the Pac-12. USC is in the same boat there. Um, and Oregon, you know, like I think USC in particular, though, because Oregon, you could make a case, look, all right, they, they, they show up, you know, maybe they figure out a way uh, to, to, and that was a home game, right? Because that was going to be was. Eugene. And so, you know, who knows on that one. But USC, hard for me to envision USC beating Alabama. Um, and, and, and if anything, so now you're looking at USC and like, it's not inconceivable that USC could, could, could go undefeated. And, pretty inconceivable to me that USC goes undefeated otherwise. And so, look, if there's some sort of playoff uh, that, that's constructed through this, like, and USC can run the table in the um, out West, like, they're a pretty good candidate, whereas they probably would have been, not, you know, ruled out if, if Alabama did what, to them what I think they probably would have done to them. I'll stay in the Pac-12 for one more winner, and then I have a couple more losers. But uh, – Arizona State, for me, is a winner. Uh, everybody who's a legitimate contender in the Pac-12 South has to play Oregon. So kind of next down the list, okay, who doesn't have to play? Washington. Because In my opinion, Washington is the number two team in the North. Uh, you know, If you disagree, obviously you're going to disagree with this analysis. But uh, I think Arizona State is probably my number two team in the South, just you know, over Utah uh, slightly. But them not having to play Washington is potentially a, a pretty big boon for them, considering everybody has to play Oregon. You know, that, that's, that's kind of a help there as far as the additional games in the Pac-12. Well, I think um, the, the, like Washington also, and Arizona, you, could make a, you could probably make this case for Arizona State too, um, but I think even more so Washington. I think Washington, because they're sort of in the same boat, right, with Arizona State, aren't they? Don't you sort of have the same opinion of their schedule? Yeah, uh, right. Like they, don't, they don't play Arizona State, exactly. And, and so I think – Washington was already a team that I felt like was being undervalued by most people. I mean, that was like, a, like when we did our preseason top 25, that was the one that I had in that no one else did that. I was like, well, like they've got like, other than quarterback, which wasn't that good last year. Anyways, with Jacob Beeson, it was talented, but it wasn't like some uh, irreplaceable piece. Like Washington is already a team that is, I think could surprise people. And so if you're giving them sort of a, uh, a bonus point for schedule, um, then that's, uh, I think they're even a, a better pick in terms of someone where you can find some value right now. I think it makes a lot of sense, yeah, especially if, if Oregon was, was to stumble a little bit. Uh, did want to mention, by the way, that just because we're talking about these teams going three and seven or four and six, and that's assuming that we play 10 games, you know, we might, we might not. Uh, Chris Hummer did a good piece today for 24-7 Sports, and he talked about, uh, how pretty good chance we're going to have some bowl teams at three and seven or four and six. You know, it, it actually, if if we don't have the same requirements for making bowls that we normally had, we could have some really like kind of wonky and fun bowl game matchups that we, we normally don't have. Because my guess is that we're probably not going to have all the scheduled bowl games either. So maybe we'll have some shuffling of like conference tie-ins or, you know, order of who gets to pick, et cetera. I, I, we could actually have a fun bowl season, man. That could be pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, it's, I mean, we could have like a, um, I mean, we're because we're typically there. There's some pretty bad teams that can sneak into some bowls. Um, 
and this, I mean, that's a necessity. There's, there's only so many good teams in college football, but now some pretty bad teams may sneak into the bowls with some pretty bad records too. <laughs> so, uh, that'll, that, that'll be interesting. But, um, I mean, the whole thing, like the whole season is, is potentially the most, I mean, not potentially like assuming the thing goes off and like is, is, is actually begun and finished like this will be the most interesting college football season probably of all time for all kinds of reasons it, it, it very easily could blow 2007 out of the water what was 2007 07 is the year where like usf gets to number two lsu wins a national title uh with with two losses remember they were they were undefeated in regulation and they, they had like the two overtime losses and uh just crazy upsets every week i, I think 07 is Oh, seven kind of is the high watermark for, for craziness. I, I, I think like I, 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 I generally remember that year. Now that you mentioned it, I don't remember the specifics of it that well, but um, I do remember the, the wild upsets being pretty regular. Yeah, that was, that was crazy. And then I, I mean, we, yeah, we had a two loss national champion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. All right, Barton, speaking of losses, uh, we have an important loss to talk about when we come back from this break. So stay tuned. Chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean and a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, man, welcome back into the Barton Bud Show. And now we're going to talk about an important loss. Uh, news broke on Tuesday morning that Rashad Bateman, one of our favorite players in college football, a guy we followed since he was a recruit, uh, he's going to opt out of the 2020 college football season and enter the NFL draft. Uh, this is now the second player uh, of note. He's not the second player overall, but he's kind of the second player of note with, with Bateman and then obviously Virginia Tech's Caleb Farley, uh, who is elected to go ahead and opt out. And I think this is, man, it's something we got to monitor. You know, it, it, it's it sucks as a college ball fan, but you you understand it. And I think there's some broader takeaways we can make too with, with the quality of player deciding to opt out. Yeah, for sure. The, my 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 first reaction to this was, man, that sucks for Mike Sanford because Mike Sanford is the new offensive coordinator at Minnesota. He's he, he was a rising star, was the OC at Boise State, and then then Notre Dame, and then got the head job at Western Kentucky. Um, and then was was let go after two years. Uh, got the the coordinator job at Utah State last year, and then this is first year at Minnesota, replacing Kirk Soraka, who heads to Penn State, and takes over this offense that was like like one of the sort of surprise good units in all of college football last year, and now like the, the strength of the unit. I know they had good running backs. Um, and Tanner Morgan's their quarterback is 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 good. 
But without question, like the strength of their unit was the two wide receivers, which is Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman, both NFL guys, Bateman, potential first rounder. Uh, Johnson was a, he, I think, he, I assume, I don't remember when, where he got drafted. I remember being lower than I expected, uh, but he's a potential kind of steal as a rookie. Um, and now he's, he's, now he's like, A, he's got to make this offense work without those two guys. But B, Tanner Morgan's kind of left out like, all right, we're about to see what Tanner Morgan's all about considering, you know, is he just a product of those receivers or, you know, is this guy really a guy that can put a team on his shoulder? So there's a lot to dig into on the just Rashad Bateman departure, what it means for the rest of college football, what it means for the trends that, that could be coming. But I just think in terms of Minnesota, it's really interesting too uh, as, as Mike Sanford tries to get that offense to, to, to pop off. And, and, and by the way, I was like a – quietly on this I guess this was pre-schedule shakeup but because of favorable schedule I actually kind of like Minnesota as a dark horse in the west you drafted um, them I did Didn't draft you? them I think I draft yeah I drafted them ah uh, did I there I can't remember but if I didn't they were definitely a high, like one of my top candidates no I, I completely agree with you there um so a couple things on this Minnesota deal number one I, I think that if you're a Minnesota fan like they ran the ball so much last year. Is there a, a part of you that that says, "Damn, we only had Bateman and Tyler Johnson together in that form for one year, and yet we still ran the ball like close to forty times a game." Like you might look back on this in a couple of years and say, "Ah, shoot, we, we probably should have chucked it around a little bit more." Number two. Now that they don't have those guys who can torch you on the outside, I'm not saying they don't have anybody, but like they don't have Johnson and Bateman. Now that they don't have those dudes who can make you pay for 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 playing, you know, a lot of single high type stuff on the outside as you drop another guy down in the box. Mike Sanford has really got to get them doing a better job of, of throwing on early downs, taking the easy throws. Cause if you try that running the ball all the time approach without the ability to make guys pay on the outside when, when you go play action, um, uh, that, that could be a, a precipitous drop-off for their offense. And I, I think Mike Sanford can do a good job there. I, I am a believer in Tanner Morgan, not quite as much as some, other are, some others are, but I, I do think he's a good quarterback. It's just going to be hard, man, w- w- without those two targets. That's that's a major – like, they were their two best players on offense, right? I think so. I, I, yeah, I, I do too. And then, and I think other, uh, I remember very early in the season talking to another Big Ten staff that was like, by the way, you need to like, Minnesota has as good a receiving core as anyone in the country. And, and then, like, sure enough, as the season progressed, like, those guys just started to just, I mean, th- there was no question. So, um, but yeah, so I mean, the Minnesota, it stings, but, uh, you know, the, what it is as an indicator for the rest of the, country is going to be interesting as well like i don't know do you think what, what's your expectation do you think that this is going to become standard that was a kid not not so rashad bateman keep in mind here for for those that are unaware like so he was a true sophomore last year was ineligible for the nfl draft would have been a high draft pick you know it would have been it was a loaded receiver class so i'm not saying he would have been a first rounder probably wouldn't have been but he would have been drafted and drafted pretty high forced to come back this year he's a he could have he's playing like I don't know that I assume like I, he's probably not a first rounder without senior tape or junior tape right this year I, who knows I but think I agree with you but um, with junior tape he certainly would have a shot as at first rounds but 
this is a guy that didn't have the option to go out last year. And there are, so, so like when I think about this, I think about, all right, what is, what does Jamar Chase think about, you know, Rashad Bateman Mount? What does Penny Sewell think about Rashad Bateman Mount? I think about the, the, the rising juniors that would have been really high draft picks last year that are now, um, because how many guys, we, we always talk about this guy shouldn't play. Like he's, he's NFL ready. He should just sit the season out and they never do it in part. Who knows why they don't do it. But I think a big reason is like, it just, it's not accepted. And if it's now accepted for a guy who's got NFL payday locked up and it's sort of this like socially acceptable because of COVID to sit it out, I wonder who's going to be tempted to just call it a day and, and, um, Wait till the spring train. So, a couple things here. Number one, uh, obviously, like if you have legit COVID concerns, I really don't blame you for sitting out at all. I, and I, I, I'm not going to question, you know, that uh, that Farley or or Bateman have that. It does strike me that these guys are likely first rounders, but I don't think that they're first round locks, as you said. And so, in my mind now, it's kind of thinking like, ooh, wait a second, maybe the guys who could elect to sit out this thing with a fall season, maybe that pool of guys who might elect to sit out for draft reasons is a little bit bigger than I thought it was. I, I thought the pool was potentially pretty big if we played a spring season. For whatever reason, I don't know, maybe it's just on me, I really didn't think you'd see very many guys sit out a fall season. Now I think it's a little bit more possible you know, that that, that could happen. Um, I also, in, in talking to people that work in the game, I think you're going to see some guys sit out who are either academically ineligible or ineligible because they're getting benefits because they've already, you know, been talking to agents and, and getting stuff like that. And, and some, you know, departments or, or NCAA people are on them. And I think you're going to see them use COVID as cover to sit out. In fact, it's a perfect cover this year. If you knew that, Hey, like maybe I didn't stay on top of it in my online classes over the summer and I'm not going to be eligible for, you know, for, for the fall season. We see that every year with, with you know, a couple of guys being academically ineligible. Um, and then the obviously the agent thing, they've been away from from compliance for a long time now, and uh, it's very easy for some agents to kind of get with those guys. So I, I think we will see a few dudes, and we may never know, or we may know and just not be able to say, uh, because we're you know, kind of told off the record. But I think there's going to be some guys who sit out who actually fit that. And I'm not saying that that, that that's uh, that's either the two dudes we were just discussing, but that that's something to watch for as well. There and third. Man, this makes it really hard to figure out like who you like this year. Like, I, I kind of keep wanting. I, can we get some final rosters and get locked in? Like, it's going to be hard enough losing guys to COVID during the year and then having out for a couple of weeks and then come back. Hopefully, like having these dudes sit out with announcements every day, it's almost like bowl season. It's like, what? Why did I quit betting bowl season? Honestly, because that that reason right, right there. Right. This so is going to be a very. That's a good point. It's going to be a very bowl season type of year. Like you, you get Will Greer sitting out. And we get the announcement basically what day of or like like hour before the game maybe or or was it just that he didn't come out for the first series? Remember that? I don't remember. I don't remember that. I in the uh, the game against Syracuse when uh, when when Cuse got the ten wins. Shout Dino Babers for doing the uh, social distance series for us. So <laughs> it's interesting, man. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. Um, I mean, I hey, look. I I hope that there's going to be. Um, I hope everyone's plays, but certainly, I, I, you know, it's understandable. It's very understandable. And then more like there, 
Um, it's understandable. I'll just put it that way. And, and, and I, there, there's certainly no judgment on anybody that decides to sit out. Um, and especially when you got millions of dollars hanging in the balance. Um, but I look, I, I still, I've said this before, like, I hope that the rosters are full with all the guys we expect, but, um, that's the beauty of college football is like, there's still like, all right, now there's the intrigue of who's, who's, who's the next up in Minnesota. I was actually trying to pick up their, uh, their depth chart as we were talking, just kind of in real time, wondering who is the, who is like the backup, uh, wide receiver at Minnesota. Um, but it's, uh, it's, there, there's always going to be fun players to, to, you know, to watch, to keep your eye on. I'm telling our team sites when you do your positional previews for the network, you need to include stuff like who is the emergency quarterback. Yeah, you know, we 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 did it on Nolcast the other day, and I was like, okay, the emergency QBs at Florida State are DJ Matthews and Travis J. But like that's content right there. You can go back and say, wait a second, like who played quarterback on our team who is not a uh, you know who's not currently playing QB right now? Because you might need to, you might need to need them. I would like to see college ball betting markets. Almost like like in baseball, you you can list the pitcher, and if the pitcher who's is supposed to start the game doesn't start, you know, like you, you get refunded. I would like we should be able to list quarterbacks. I think which is pretty cool. Do you think we're gonna get uh, win totals? They will be out there. Will they be from a place we can discuss? I'm not totally sure. I do know that one thing they did in in baseball and the NBA, they did win percentage as opposed to win totals. Mm. Because they want, they didn't want to have to refund all these bets when just one game got canceled. That's still a tricky bet in football. Like, if, if oh. I feel like you could do that in baseball a little bit more in football. Like, I don't even know you can do that because depending on what game gets pulled off the schedule, totally. <laughs> you think? Like, yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, oh man, have you seen this? The uh, the Brooks Kepka truck polo. No. So Nike made Brooks Kepka a truck polo with like a, like a a, a logo of a truck on it. Cause I guess he, he played poorly at a tournament, you know, Kepka, the golfer. And, uh, yeah. he's pretty good at, tr- at trolling on Twitter. And uh, some guy tweeted at him, uh, go drive a truck, you bum. And he's like, yeah, Brinks truck. <laughs> <laughs> so that now he's now his new, new, uh, new Nike polos have a, a Brinks truck logo on the lapel. That's, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> oh man. Um, but yeah, I like probably not going to, not going to make a, a Brinks truck betting college ball this year unless you have some real insider information because there's there's a pretty serious randomness element to it i i think and i i'm not really sure how to account for this man you know i I, i'm sitting here as i'm thinking about it because i've had i've had like three straight really good years in terms of like the bet the picks i've handed out uh and i'm thinking well shoot man this is it's it's all going to come to a crashing halt this season but i i do actually think that my my strength, our strength. Well, you you kind you're kind of a, I don't know whether you're like you're an analytics guy. You're no you 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 crunch the numbers. I'm more of a I'll take I'll listen to what guys like you say, and then like I'm big on like all right personnel and 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 my knowledge of the players and stuff. But you've certainly got an element of that too. This could be this could be the year. This could be another good year where your knowledge of the roster top to bottom is going to be the difference between making money and losing money. And uh, so as I'm sitting here thinking about how this is going to be my, my downfall gambling, uh, maybe, maybe this is going to be another strong year for me.
Well, you bring up a really good point. Uh, so I I do like to try and incorporate you know roster knowledge and, and personnel changes with the analytics, which is kind of where I think I, I get my edge from. But it's very difficult to do that across the country. You know, like it, it's really hard to monitor that many teams if you're if you're having to have a lot of guys out potentially on every team, which we could have with COVID. But but if you focus on just a conference or two, um, a lot of these books are going to be at a disadvantage this year compared to normal because a lot of your advanced metric systems are not going to be as good because they are not going to have um, basically like out-of-conference comparisons. So when you do get time for, for any kind of out-of-conference game, like we're going to have a pretty good feel for how good a team is within its own conference with, with, mm-hmm. with the analytics, assuming that the roster stays the same, which is a really bold and, and perhaps foolish assumption. Uh, but man, like, like come playoff time, come bowl time, a lot of these advanced metrics are not going to be as useful. Uh, as they normally would. So that's going to be really fascinating. And roster knowledge is going to be very important. I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you there. That, that yeah. comes into play in baseball, by the way. Uh, if a lot of guys I know who are serious baseball betters, you know, they, they make a decent chunk of their income on it. Most of their day-to-day adjustments are figuring out likely bullpen matchups. And that's, that's where they get their edge at, right? Like who's available to pinch hit, who, who matches up well, you know, handedness wise. And like, usage patterns in the bullpen okay this guy's thrown three three days in a row he's probably not gonna get run out there a fourth time in a row unless the manager is you know like joe torrey or something like that with with rivera so this is kind of similar man yeah yeah it is uh so congratulations on our great year that we're about to have (laughs) (laughs) no doubt Shout out to Tani, our, our producer, for uh, putting this together. We had a couple of weed whacker uh, interventions in, in between, and uh, newborn nap. And this is, you know, we're we're, we're this is this is where you make your money, Tani. Five star reviews out there. Make sure you share us on, on Twitter and Facebook, and uh, tell your friends. <laughs>